we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Let's take our Bibles this evening and go with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Corinthians, and we'll pick up in chapter number 14, 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. This is a very lengthy chapter, and we most likely will not get all of it covered. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we'll begin reading in verse number one. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God, for no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries." But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. But he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? And even things without life-giving sound, whether pipe or harp, Except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak in the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church." Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with understanding also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with understanding also. Else, when thou shalt bless with the spirit, How shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen and thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God, 
I speak with tongues more than y'all. Yet in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice, I might teach others also that 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. Then I'd like for you to look with me, if you would, please. A few verses over, in verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And then again in verse number 40, if you'll look there with me. Let all things be done decently and in order. We have to remember that the church of Corinth was in the infant stages of church development in the first century. During the apostolic age, when the traditions of the church were being established, when the truth of the church was being transmitted, given to the apostles, written and recorded, eventually those apostolic writings would become our New Testament. And now here we are 2,000 years later with the full revelation of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ that is given to us in his word. The ministry at Corinth, as we know, was characterized by carnality and confusion. And there were those in the church who sought spiritual gifts uh, for their own use, in other words, for their own profit. Uh, they sought to minister for recognition when someone seemed to be more gifted than they were, they became envious of them. There was carnality and confusion, and there were divisions within the church. And part of that division, of course, uh, bled over into the public worship of the church. And the Apostle Paul says in verse number 40, let all things be done decently and in order. I want to speak to you on that subject this evening, decently and in order. I don't think we'll get through all of this tonight, but I hope that as we look in these beginning verses, we'll begin to understand why it is that we do what we do. Why is it that we have singing, praying, preaching? And who does the preaching? And who determines who does the preaching? And what songs do we sing? And who does the singing? And who determines those things? If we do not have those type of guidelines in place to determine these things, then what we have is confusion and chaos. And that is exactly what was happening in the church at Corinth. Now, there are two subjects that are being debated in the 14th chapter. The gift of prophecy or teaching or preaching the Word of God. And then the gift of 
tongues. And it would seem from the reading, it's, it's, it not only would seem, it is very conclusive, that the gift of tongues was a misunderstood and misused gift in the Corinthian church. And so the Apostle Paul is going to deal with it. And he's going to help us learn the importance and significance that when we come together as a church, that we do things decently and in order. So let's pray together. We'll ask for the Holy Spirit to help us, and then we'll look at these verses. Our Father, we thank you for your love to us and your mercy. And we pray that you'll guide us in this meeting. May the Holy Spirit empower and fill us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to notice some things, and we'll just, we'll just take this chapter as it comes, as we come to it. And I've given it six headings. And so we'll look at the first one as we try to understand and discern what the Apostle Paul is saying in this passage. First of all, I'd like for you to write this down, the priority of preaching. We see the priority of preaching. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. Now remember, as I mentioned to you, there is no completed revelation of the New Testament. And so the teaching and the preaching that is going on, uh, that preaching and teaching is based on what the Apostle Paul has taught the elders at the church of Corinth and what is being preached there as the Holy Spirit of God moves them. Now that we have a completed canon of revelation, we preach God's Word. But we understand that there is a priority here, and that priority is preaching. Follow after charity. Well, as we noted in the 13th chapter, Paul speaks to them about the fact that the greatest gift is love. And so we are to love one another. And as we desire spiritual gifts, uh, we as a body, he says, rather that ye may prophesy, desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. He's not speaking to individuals here. He's speaking to the church corporately. He's speaking to them in the plural, indicating not that the individuals should desire to prophesy, but that the whole church should desire that the gift of prophecy, prophesying, proclaiming the truth, preaching and teaching the Word of God, that that gift would be used in their assembly. So there is a priority that is given to us, and that priority is the priority of preaching. Now, why is that? Well, notice again in verse 2, for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Now, there's an interpretive key in these verses that we need to understand. When we read the phrase, unknown tongue, we'll read it a number of times in this passage. It's in the singular. When we read the phrase tongues in this passage, it's in the plural. Tongues denotes a language, a language that is spoken. For example, it could be Spanish. It could be French. It could be uh, Chinese or it could be 
Portuguese. It's a language that is spoken. When he speaks of an unknown tongue, it is not a known language. It is a subjective form of speech that comes from an individual. And so that's an important distinction for us to make. So in verse 2, he is addressing those who speak in an unknown tongue, not a recognized language. And he says, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Now we have to understand what the Apostle Paul means by that. First of all, he says, in the Spirit. If you'll notice in your Bible, the word Spirit is not capitalized. So this does not refer to the Holy Spirit. This speaks of the Spirit of the man. So within the man, within him, coming from him, comes this unknown tongue. And he speaketh mysteries. What mysteries? Well, these are not the mysteries of Christ. These are mysteries that are unknown. Now, we have to understand something about the Corinthian culture and the Corinthian religions. John MacArthur helps us on, on this point. He says that the mysteries Paul has in mind here are of the type associated with the pagan mystery religions out of which many of the Corinthian Christians had come. Unlike the mysteries of the gospel, which are revelations of things previously hidden. So when, when Paul speaks of the mysteries of Christ, he's speaking of things that were not known, though given in the Old Testament, but not fully realized. But in Christ, they are known. The mystery is revealed. This is different from the mystery of the pagan religions of the Corinthians. They intentionally remain mysterious as unknown truths and principles that supposedly only the elite were privileged to know. In other words, they were involved in some type of a mystical religion that was very subjective and, and was not based on any truth or any revelation. And because they were used to that, they were enamored with this use of tongues, speaking in an unknown language, not a clearly defined language, not a language that others would understand, but a subjective language coming from their own imagination, their own heart, and their own mind. And so Paul establishes here in the opening verses that when you compare those two gifts, you need to understand that preaching is the thing that helps people. And the speaking in an unknown tongue is a subjective, unknown, mysterious thing. So number one, he starts with or begins with the priority of preaching. What do we make central in our meetings? The preaching and teaching of the Word of God. That leads me to the second point. We find it in verse 3. And that is the purpose of preaching. We see that preaching is the priority in the corporate worship of the church. And now we see why when we examine the purpose of preaching. 
Look again, if you would, in verse number 3. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. All right, now, again, we compare. Uh, The Bible says in verse 2, that he who speaks in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. At least that was the claim, right? But he that prophesieth, he that preaches or teaches the word of God, speaks unto men. So if someone is speaking in tongues in a public worship service, an unknown tongue, nobody knows what is being said. But if a preacher is preaching and teaching the word of God, then all of us can understand that. Now, there are three benefits of the preaching of the Word of God that are given here. These encompass the purpose of preaching. Edification, that means to build us up, to build us up, to build us up as believers, to impart to us knowledge and truth that helps us as men and women. We're we're edified, we're built up in the faith, we're built up in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The next word is exhortation. That means to be encouraged, to be, to be strengthened, and to be encouraged. And then the next word is comfort. So the ministry of preaching is a ministry that is spoken to men with threefold purpose, edification, exhortation, and comfort. I want you to go with me, if you would, please, to Colossians chapter 1 because Paul expounds on this further, uh, speaking of the preaching of Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter number 1 and verse number 27, he speaks of the message of Christ. He says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery, that's the mystery of Christ, among the Gentiles. So Paul was given the responsibility to proclaim the message of Christ to the Gentiles, this mystery. He says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, the fact that Christ would come and dwell in you. Verse 28, whom we preach, warning every man. What do we warn them of? We warn them of the judgment that comes. And teaching every man. What do we teach them? We teach them the way of salvation. We teach them that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Teaching every man in all wisdom. So we warn them and we teach them that we may present every man perfect or complete in Christ Jesus. So the purpose of preaching is to build up the believer. That's why we spend a a significant portion of our time in our meetings, preaching the truth of God's Word. So the purpose of preaching, the priority of preaching. Then we see in verse 4 the problem with tongues, the problem with tongues. Verse 4, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. Now, all through this chapter, there is a comparison or a contrast, rather, not really a comparison, but a contrast between the gift of prophecy and the gift of speaking in tongues. That is the definite theme of this 14th chapter that leads Paul to conclude that all things need to be done decently and in order. 
So he, he addresses here the problem with tongues. Again, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. What does preaching do? It edifies the church. It edifies the church. Now, unknown tongues were not being spoken then in the church in Corinth for the benefit of fellow believers. Apparently, they were being spoken to God in, in some type of a prayer language by those who we imagine wanted to be heard in the church. We draw that conclusion based on what Paul has reproved them of already and what he will continue to reprove them of in this chapter. First of all, they wanted to be heard. That was a problem. Secondly, the other problem was this. No one understood what they were saying. All right? So their motivation was to be heard, to exercise, to demonstrate that they had a spiritual gift. And the second problem is that nobody understood what they were saying. As one commentator writes, the satisfaction many of the believers experienced in their abuse of tongues was self-satisfaction, which came from a pride-induced emotion, not from spiritual edification. It is an illegitimate self-building often building up nothing more than spiritual pride. These Corinthian believers had lived in a culture that had emphasized emotionalism and mysticism. They wanted a religious experience that moved them emotionally, and they were willing to do what they needed to do to have an emotional experience even if there was no truth behind it. Now, there are a lot of churches in our country, and a lot of things are done differently in a lot of churches. Many of you know that from experience because you've been in them. Emotionalism is a dangerous road to move down. Adrian Rogers often said, God doesn't do his deepest work in the most shallow part of our being. What is the most shallow part of our being? It's our emotions. Our emotions can be moved and manipulated so easily. Music can move our emotions and our affections. That's why we need to be careful about the music that we listen to. That's why we need to be careful about the music that we sing. Our music ought to edify the saint. It ought to magnify Christ. It ought to teach doctrine and truth. It's not the rhythm or the beat that ministers to us. It is the words, the lyrics. To, to worship is not simply an emotional, ecstatic experience. It is an exchange of words between us and our God. He speaks to us. That's where worship begins, with God speaking. We respond to God as God speaks to us. 
sort of trying to whip it up in some frenzied state. To, to, to try to stir up the emotion and to say that that is worship is a dangerous path that can lead us down a, a slippery slope. And so we find here that there was a problem with tongues. The problem was it did not edify the church. It seemed to edify only the believer. And in the church at Corinth, to cause them to say, look at that guy. And to cause that guy to say, look at me. Verse 5. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Now, Paul's not entering into the horse race here. What do I mean by that? In other words, he's not trying to compare his gift with others and say that one person is greater than the other. He's saying the use of the gift is more beneficial. The use of the gift of prophesying, teaching, preaching God's word is of more help and of more value to the church than the gift of tongues. Verse 6, now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine. In other words, if I come to you and I just speak in tongues to you and you have no idea what I'm saying, what good does that do you? If I possess the ability to speak Chinese and I preach the message in Chinese, there may be a few people watching online that would benefit from that. Maybe one or two in here could pick up on some words, but overall that would not help this congregation, would it? So what was happening in Corinth? You had a number of people that were getting up and speaking in tongues, not languages that the people could understand, languages that perhaps were not even languages at all. In fact, that's what we've been dealing with thus far, the unknown tongue. And so he said, if I come to you and I'm speaking in tongues, if I'm speaking a different language, it is not going to help you. What you need is to hear from someone who has a revelation or knowledge, who is able to prophesy, to teach, or preach the Word of God and instruct, instruct you in doctrine. Then he gives an example in verse 7. And even things without life-giving sound, with a pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? A key word there in verse 7 is distinction. Another key word in this chapter is edifying, edification. Let me give you another key word in this chapter, understanding, understanding. What happens in the public worship of the church should be distinct. It should be edifying and it should be understood. And if it isn't, it doesn't pass the test. Verse 8, For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for the battle? So likewise ye, except ye utter the, by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. In other words, you're just, you're just filling the air with volume. 
There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Greeks considered anyone who didn't speak Greek to be a barbarian, uneducated. In other words, if I can't communicate with people, they can't communicate with me, then they will consider me a barbarian. Verse 12, even so ye, for as much as you're zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Here's the purpose of spiritual gifts, to build up the church, to edify the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Verse 15, what is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with understanding also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with understanding also. In other words, I'm going to speak words that are understandable. I'm going to communicate to God what I understand. I'm going to tell him that I love him. I'm going to express my thanksgiving to him. So imagine we ask someone to come and lead this congregation in prayer, and they began to speak in a tongue that we did not know and recognize. Well, what profit would that be to us or to the person that was speaking? Verse 15, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing with the understanding also. Else, here, here's the conclusion of that. Else, when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks? You see, the Bible says that when we pray about something and we agree together on that, that God hears our prayer and will answer our prayer. God tells us that in his word. So when we say amen, what we're doing is we are agreeing with that prayer. We are validating that. We are saying, I heard that prayer. I understood that prayer. I agree with that prayer. I'm participating together with you in that prayer. So when we as a church come together and we have public prayer, that doesn't mean that we just have one person praying. That means the congregation is praying together. And so as we listen to that prayer, we are able to say amen seeing that he understandeth not what thou sayest. Verse 17, for thou verily givest thanks well, but the other's not edified. So if I'm speaking in tongues and trying to express thanks and don't even know what I'm saying and no one else knows what I'm saying, how in the world can they participate in my prayer? Verse 18, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than y'all, yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. So let's take that example. Paul said, I had rather speak five words that I understood and you understand in the church than to speak 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. So that helps us understand the priority of preaching, does it not? It helps us understand the purpose of preaching. It helps us to understand the problem with tongues. But now let me give you the purpose of tongues in verse 20. The purpose of tongues. And it's important that we understand what the purpose of tongues are because tongues were given to the church. 
Verse 20, brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all uh, that will they not hear me, yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. So God says, I, I've said it in the Old Testament. It's prophesied in the Old Testament that I'm going to speak to men with tongues in languages that they don't normally speak. Look in verse 22. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign. Here is the purpose of tongues. Tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, who fills the church. People who believe. Not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. So the ministry of the word builds the believer. The message of the tongue, speaking in tongues, is for a sign to the unbeliever. So if we're really going to understand this, let's go back to Acts chapter 2. Would you turn back there with me? Acts chapter 2. You say, Pastor, this is the kind of stuff that's just so exciting. I get to learn about tongues. Well, you need to learn about it. Why? Because you don't want to be carried away into deception. You don't want to be carried into way into some form of ecstatic emotionalism that is not based on truth, that opens you up to all forms of danger and mystical worship. And if you haven't noticed, it's sweeping our country. And many people who you used to could name with some confidence that they were uh, people who adhered to the Word of God, now you cannot name them and have any confidence that they are adhering to the truth of God's Word. So we have to be discerning. And the only way to be discerning is to know the Bible. So that's what we're trying to do. Acts chapter 2, verse number 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. This is the day of Pentecost. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Again, these are languages. This is not an unknown tongue. This is, these are men and women filled with the Holy Ghost, gathered in the upper room, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, gave them utterance. All right? Verse 5, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded. Because, now notice this please in verse 6. This is very important. Because that every man heard them speak in his own. Would you say the next word with me? They were speaking languages. And there were people there from all over the world gathered in Jerusalem who spoke those languages. And when the Spirit of God moved and filled that company of believers, uh, it was accompanied with the sound of a mighty rushing wind. There were cloven tongues of fire that appeared over their head. It was a visible thing, but it was verbal in the sense that they heard them speak 
in their own language. And none of the 120 knew those languages. This is a supernatural work of God. Verse 7, and they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? And then verses 9 through 11, you have a list of, of, the, of the places that they were from and the languages that they spoke, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia and Egypt and in parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, Would you you notice again verse 11? Don't miss it. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. These are people who did not know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. These are people who had come to Jerusalem to, to, to worship, to keep the feast. These are people who heard the Christians, the believers, the company of disciples filled with the Spirit, speaking the wonderful works of God in their language, and they knew something significant was going on. So what is the purpose of tongues? Tongues are for a sign to those who do not believe. They're real languages, and they speak to the sinner the wonderful works of God. But that is not how they were being used in Corinth, and that's important for us to distinguish. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 23. You see, instead of those tongues being used as a sign for unbelievers, the tongues as they were used in Corinth were confusing people. In fact, they were confusing sinners who came into their public meetings. Look at verse 23. If therefore, we're in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23 If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? So the picture is they're having a meeting, they're having a service, and a number of people, he says all, they're all walking around speaking in tongues in some ecstatic state and the language that they're speaking is not a language. It's an unknown tongue. And he says, when unbelievers come in and they hear that, will they not say that you are mad? They'll say, what in the world is going on? Verse 24, but if all prophesy and there come in one that believeth not or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. In other words, if he comes in and someone is preaching the truth of God's word in a language that he understands, then he can hear the message of the gospel. The Holy Spirit can convict him of his sin and draw him to Christ, and he will respond in faith and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in the first instance when tongues were given in Acts 2, they all understood But in 1 Corinthians 14, nobody understands. Do you see the difference? In 1 Corinthians 14, 
the preaching of the word of God is given. And when the word is preached, the people understand. They hear the message of God. And as they hear the message of God, they respond in their heart to God's message. That is the transaction that produces worship in the church. And that's why Paul said, let all things be done decently and in order. Well, let's look at a fifth thing. And we're about to conclude. And we've moved quickly. Maybe tonight you'll give me a pat on the back, you think? I doubt it. Verse 26. How is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a song, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation? In other words, when you came to the meetings of the church, people were lined up and they said, I'm ready to speak. I'm ready to speak. I got a psalm. I got a song. I got a revelation. I got a doctrine. I've been in churches like that. Have you? Wednesday night prayer request time. Oh, mercy. Everybody has a prayer request, right? Some of the longest services I was ever in. Wednesday night prayer meetings. And there was always that guy that had one more. Oh, man, that was the way to grow up, let me tell you. Everyone has a psalm, a doctrine, a tongue, a revelation, an interpretation. And he said, wait a minute, let all things be done unto edifying. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three and that by course and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. In other words, if the Spirit of God moves you, speak to God. You don't have to get up in front of the church and speak unless there's an interpreter. And there was apparently a gift of interpretation. We know the Bible said, whether there be tongues, they shall cease. They're given for a sign to unbelievers. But now we have the Word of God. It is given to us, fully revealed to us. God's full revelation, complete revelation is in our hands. So there's the practice of the Corinthians. It was a confusing practice, wasn't it? A very confusing practice. Well, then he closes in verses 29 through 40 with protocols for preaching. Protocols for preaching. You're going to have to do some homework on this one. But he says, let the prophet speak two or three and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. There's the point of it, right? That all may learn and that all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, what we preach has to be faithful to the word of God. We can't preach something that's not faithful to the word of God. There's a new type of preacher in our culture today. And what is his authority? Well, his authority is cultural acceptance, political correctness. What do we preach? We preach the Bible. For God is not the author of confusion, 
When you see a confusing mess on television, on social media, understand that God is not the author of confusion. God is not going to work in a way contradictory to his word. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. Verse 34, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. What a controversy we have today on the role of women. The Southern Baptist Convention is in a great debate over this very matter. Who can be a pastor? Well, the Bible is very clear on this matter. God has given the office of the pastor. God has designed that office and the spiritual leadership of the church. That responsibility is given to men. God has given a responsibility to women. Women are not fulfilled by taking the role of the man, and the man is not fulfilled by taking the role of the women. Men and women are fulfilled as they submit to the role that God has designed for them to take. Women are of no less significance than men. Men are of no greater significance than women. We have a role, we have a position, and we must obey God. And so when we allow political correctness and cultural acceptance to guide us, then we want to change what the Bible says. But as a Bible-believing congregation and a Bible-preaching congregation, our authority is the Word of God. Verse 36, what? Came the Word of God out from you or came it unto you only? In other words, do you have a corner on the market here? Are you the authorities? If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Paul here is saying that what I'm giving you is authoritative. It comes from God. We know that because Paul was an apostle. And so we understand that if any person is contrary to what Paul has clearly taught us in the Word of God, then that person is disobedient. Verse 38, but if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Well, let's pray that God would help us to do things decently and in order. That God would help us in our worship. That preaching would be the priority. That we would understand its purpose that we would avoid the problems that come and avoid confusion, that we would be faithful. Now, this, this truth affects the way we do everything in this church, from the hymns we sing, the music that's sang in the choir, the music that uh, soloists or groups may sing. That music must pass the test, the test of scriptural adherence the test of doctrinal truth. That music must pass the test. The preaching and the teaching of the Word of God, it must be faithful to the Scriptures. And we are to do things decently and in order. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening. 
We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.